I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to uh, Luke chapter 10. We've been uh, teaching a series on authority for the last several weeks, and we want to continue to do that this morning. We've been using as a text scripture something that Jesus said to his disciples as they returned from a ministry trip. This is actually what he was speaking to the 70. Luke chapter 10 tells us that he called 70 and sent them out and told them to go and do certain works. And they returned with great joy and said, Lord, even the devils are subject to us in your name. Now that is significant to us only because you can't find anything that Jesus said in his instruction to the the 70 about the name of Jesus being used in or against evil spirits. But they found out that it worked and went even further than what he said. So they said, Lord, even the the devils are subject to us in your name. That's verse 17. Verse 18, Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now, folks, stop and think about what he's saying. He's not saying when you use the name Satan fell. He's saying the reason the name works is because Satan has fallen. Now, when he said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven, he's talking about when Satan took a third of the angels and rebelled against God. It's easy for us, and I, I think uh, even in, uh, uh, in, in church circles, religious circles, we've made the comments about, well, the devil took a third of the angels, two-thirds of the angels stayed with God, and there was this great war in heaven. Well, how do we know that? The Bible doesn't tell us there was some great war in heaven. The Bible tells us Satan had a great plan to come against God. But the Bible tells us that God defeated Satan by casting him out of heaven as lightning to the earth. Have you ever seen lightning strike the earth? Well, then you know as well as I do how it just kind of floats through the air and looks real pretty and, and, and just kind of comes and then touches down. No. Lightning falls from heaven and smack and hits with a great force. And when it hits, everybody knows it hits. The significance of that is God threw Satan out of heaven like lightning. Paul makes this comment several times throughout his, uh, his writings. He talks about how much more the power of God is greater than the power of the devil. So much of the church world seems to have this idea that there's this, still this great struggle going on because Satan has this awesome power. And God, if, if you'll be faithful and if you'll live right and if you'll do everything just right and never mess up and never make a mistake and catch God on a good day, that somehow or another God will see you through. You'll just barely squeak by but you'll make it if you just hold out till the end folks that's not what the bible talks about relating the power of god to the power of the devil it talks about every time the bible says how much more or much more if you look those words up in the greek you'll find out that it means it's so much more god's power is so much more than the devil that it really shouldn't even be compared It is so much more that it's improper to compare them. We have to for illustration's sake, but it's improper to compare them when it comes to size and strength. God's power is so much greater than the devil's that really they shouldn't even be talked about in the same sentence. It'd be like talking about the strength of a baby as compared to the strength of the strongest man in the world. Well, they're both types of strength, but they're really not in the same category. That's what the Bible's talking about regarding God and Satan. So when Jesus says, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven, he's saying, yeah, the devil has already been defeated. 
He's already been defeated. Now, at the time that Jesus said that, Satan is the god of this world, and he has the keys of hell and death. Jesus hasn't even defeated him completely. But even so, Jesus operating under the old covenant, just simply as a righteous man, had a name that was greater than anything the devil could throw at him. And then Jesus tells us how far that power or that authority goes. Verse 19. Behold, I give unto you power. If you're reading with the King, in the King James with me, you'll notice that the word power is in this verse twice. But they're two separate words. They're two different words in the Greek language. The first word that's translated power means delegated power or authority. The second word that's translated power in verse 19 means ability. So he says, Behold, I give unto you power, literally authority, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power, ability of the enemy. Satan does have ability. There are limits to his ability, but he does have certain power. He does have a certain degree of power. But you've got authority over all of his power. And nothing, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That means the devil cannot come up with one thing that can hurt you if you know your authority. Doesn't mean you won't have trouble in the earth. Doesn't mean that he won't throw sickness at you. Doesn't mean that he won't throw financial problems and lack at you. Doesn't mean that he won't throw difficulties in your way, affliction, persecution, and so forth. Doesn't mean that you're going to escape all of those things. Jesus said you're going to experience those things in the earth, but I've overcome the world. That's what Jesus said. In this world, you'll have tribulation, but I've overcome the world. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but... The Lord delivers them out of them all. The church focuses on the afflictions. God focuses on the deliverance and victory. You choose which side you want to be on on that issue. So he's saying very simply here to the 70, not to the 12. Some people would say, well, yeah, but this, the apostles, they had special power. He's not talking to the apostles. He's talking to the 70 disciples, the 70 that were part of the group that followed Jesus. There were probably 100 to 120 people that followed Jesus around just about everywhere that he went. He just picked 70 of those and says, okay, now you go to the work. Meaning, the name is where the power is, not the individual. Now, we know that the Bible tells us that when God created the earth, Genesis chapter 1 and verse uh, 26. As a matter of fact, why don't you turn back with me to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, we'll stay in verse, uh, chapters 1 and 2 and 3 for, for just a minute to look at some scriptures. But in Genesis chapter 1, God's plan for man is revealed in verse 26. He says, and God said, now this word God means Elohim. It means the, 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 uh, the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and, and God the Holy Spirit. And God said, let us make man in our own image. Well, when he says let us, he's talking about more than just himself, isn't he? Here's the Trinity in operation. He says, let us make man in our own image. And let them, mankind, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man, verse 27, in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So it tells us that God's original plan was for man to be made in, the, in his image. Now what does that mean in his image? Man is the only thing that God created as a spirit being. He's the only thing that God came down and breathed into, breathed of himself, took of himself and placed inside of the created being, which made man elevated and in a different class than anything else he made. God made the cattle, he made the fish, he made the birds, he made all the things that walk and creep and fly and everything else, swim and all, everything else on the earth. God made them just by saying, be. 
But when it came to man, the Bible says he formed him of the, of the dust of the earth. He made of him with his own hands, Psalms tells us. And then he breathed in him the breath of life. He took of himself. He came down, stood face to face with man, and breathed of himself into man. Man's life, therefore, originated from the source of life of God himself. That's what it means he was made in the nature and the image of God. It doesn't mean we look like him, although there are physical characteristics and similarities to what we see God looks like. But in the image of God means he's made a spirit being. It's not made to look like God that causes you to have authority. If that were the case, then the apes, the apes and the monkeys would have a certain degree of authority. They look man-like to some degree. It's being made in the image of God as a spirit being that gave man authority. Man is the only creature that can think, determine, choose, and speak. Which tells us is the way that God created the earth. Now, I know parents can mimic things, and, and you can teach other animals to make certain sounds and stuff like that, but there is no evidence, and never will be any evidence, that, will, that can identify that any other created being has a rational thought, choice, will, and voice. That's what makes you in God's class of being. That's why the Bible says you're governed by your words. Because your words distinguish you from everything else that God ever created. Animals aren't judged by their words. A parent's not going to be judged before God whether or not he says the right things or the wrong things. Because he's mimicking sounds. But man has a free will and choice. He has the ability for rational thought, determination, and voice. Is the only thing on the earth, on the planet that does. And so that's why it says that God created man in his own image, and it was being created in the image of God with the source of his life, the source of man's life, being the life or the spirit of God himself that made him unique from anything else. That's what gave him authority and dominion here on the earth. Notice God's original plan for man was that he have dominion or authority. It doesn't mean that he's going to have all the power on the earth. If there were elephants on the earth, then the elephant would be stronger than man, but man's authority was greater than any created being's power, including Satan's. Now, the Bible tells us that when, uh, when Satan came upon the scene in chapter 2, it said that Satan's first trick was to question God. Folks, I want you to understand something. The devil hadn't come up with any new tricks. If you find out how he operated in the beginning, you'll find out how he operates today. It says, uh, chapter 3, I said it's chapter 2, I think, but it's chapter 3. It says, now the serpent, literally the serpent means enchanter or deceiver. It doesn't mean that he came as a snake. This idea that he came walking in the garden as a snake to tempt Eve, why is Eve going to listen to a snake? She's got dominion and authority over snakes. The fact is, he probably came looking better than Adam. He had to come in some form for her to give heed to what he said. He probably looked better than Adam. And then he questions. He says, has God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Margin of my Bible says, he said, did God really say that? He always makes you doubt the word. He always brings a question about the word. Did God really say that you've got authority over all of the Satan's power? Did God really say that Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and with his stripes you were healed? Is that really what he meant? 
He always operates the same way. And the woman answered, and she said, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, we don't have record that he said don't touch it, but she's on the right track. Stay away from it. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall surely not die, or you shall not surely die. For God does know. Here's where God kept you in the dark. God knows that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, folks, right there, the the woman should have said, Eve should have said, how do you know? Says who? She and Adam are the ones with dominion on the earth. She and Adam are the ones that are put in control. Literally, at that point in time, they are the gods of this world. Yet she takes whatever he says. Again, I think it has something to do with his appearance. But I don't know. That seems to be the pattern with women today. (laughs) They'll believe the stupidest things because some good-looking guy tells them that. (laughs) But I don't know. But she should have stopped right there and said, how do you know? How is it that you're supposed to know more about this than me? Folks, I want you to understand, the devil can never make good on his promises. Never. He is right about this. He says your eyes will be opened. He says their eyes will be opened to be like God's. What he doesn't tell them and where he lies, where he deceives them, is their eyes are going to be opened, but they won't wind up being like God's. So she looked at the tree and said, well, you know, I've never noticed this tree before. It does look good. This fruit does look as good as all the other fruit in the garden. So she eats of it, and Adam follows in. And it says... In verse 7, and the eyes of them both were opened. This, the word eyes is interesting here to me because it does not mean physical eye. It means fountain. It's the word that's translated fountain. In other words, it's saying something inside changed. It doesn't say something outside changed. It says something inside changed. And the eyes of them both were opened. The fountain of them both were opened. And they saw that they were naked and they sewed big leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, folks, I firmly believe this. You, you've decide for yourself but i firmly believe since they were naked before they ate of the uh, of the fruit the forbidden fruit the fact that they saw that they were naked afterwards tells us that some kind of change happened but it couldn't have been clothes it does not mean that when they ate of the, the forbidden fruit clothes fell off of them whoops i'm naked now no they were naked from the beginning why didn't they notice they were naked from the beginning i believe it was because the light of the life of god that was in them caused them to be surrounded by and filled with, enclosed with, if you will, the glory of God. When we used to have light bulbs, instead of those curly Q things that we've got now, it chaps me that the government tells me I can't buy the light bulbs I want to buy. Anyway, they'll find out those are toxic and dangerous and we'll have to go back to the other ones before long. But the old time light bulbs... When the light is burning, you can't hardly see the filament. You've got to really look. You can see light in there, but you can't hardly see the filament. But you turn the light bulb off, and the filament becomes very, very clearly seen. I think that's exactly what happened here. And the Bible uses that same, that very same example. It says the spirit of man is the candle or the light or the lamp of the Lord. David said, speaking prophetically of the, of the Messiah coming, he said, Thou, Lord, will light my candle talking about his spirit. He said, you will enlighten my darkness. In other words, David is looking forward to the day when the light comes back on. 
for Adam and Eve, the light went out. Now, as long as the light was on, they had authority and dominion in the earth. But as soon as the light went out, they lost it. Satan tempts Jesus with the very same dominion. In, uh, in what is it, Matthew chapter 4, where the, uh, the temptation of Jesus takes place, he says, uh, both, uh, well, Matthew brings it out, I think Luke's account, Luke chapter 4 brings it out and says it this way. He says, uh, Satan tempts him, shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he says, all this power I'll give unto you if you'll fall down and worship me, for this has been delivered unto me. Well, when? It's not the way God made it. When, were the dominion, when was the dominion of the kingdoms of the earth delivered unto Satan? When he became the God of the world, God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians 4, 4, when Adam and Eve gave that dominion to them, to him. When they rebelled against God. Folks, you need to understand something. When Jesus comes back into our hearts, when Jesus is made the Lord of our lives, that light comes back on. You know the thing that got me on track for God's will for my life? I saw that light in somebody else. Now, I grew up in the church. I grew up around Christians. I was saved just before, uh, well, as a six-year-old boy, I was saved. So I don't have this terrible past to, you know, where I was, you know, lived a horrible life and then got saved. You know, people start giving their testimonies. I sometimes feel left out, but I've got the better part. I've got to tell you, i got the better part. But I, I came upon a situation where, through a series of events, I wound up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We took my father, who had uh, cancer at the time, we took my father out to, uh, uh, to Tulsa to Brother Hagen's healing school. And I'm just walking on the campus. And I notice that the people that are there are different. I'm not stopping and talking to people. I'm not interviewing anybody. I'm not really asking questions. I'm kind of a leave-me-to-myself kind of person, you know, kind of a loner by nature which is funny why God would have me to do what he's having me to do. But I'm walking around the campus, and I just look at people, and I recognize they've got something I don't have. Now, I'm saved. At that time, at that point in time, I was filled with the Holy Ghost. But they had something I didn't have, and I recognized it. I saw it in them. I noticed that there was something about them that I didn't have. Now, what was that? I've got the same Holy Ghost that they've got through salvation. I've got the same baptism of the Spirit that they've got by speaking in tongues. I've got the same equipment that they've got, but the fact that they had committed themselves and given themselves to study and learn the Word caused a light to shine in them that I recognized. That wasn't a physical light that I could see, but I knew. I saw those people and I thought, you've got something I don't have. I recognized. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what the source was, but I saw that everybody there had it, so I figured this must be where you get it. And that's what caused me to go to Bible school. Now, folks, that's entirely scriptural. Do you remember in Exodus chapter 34, the first time Moses went up into the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, he came down and saw everybody having their orgy and party and doing all the kind of stuff, worshiping the golden calf. He got mad and he broke the tablets of stone. Remember the story? Well, God replaces those. In Exodus chapter 34, I believe it is, God tells Moses, all right, you know, make two more tablets of stone, bring them up to the mountain with you tomorrow. I'll give you, I'll write on them and and give you the Ten Commandments again. So Moses goes up there, spends 40 days in the presence of God. He comes down and the people are running from him. Moses can't figure out what's going on. It says the people are afraid of him and Aaron finally goes up and talks to him and says, Moses, your face is lit up. Your face is shining. 
Everybody's afraid of you, including me, because your face is shining. Now, what was it that caused Moses not saved? He doesn't have the life of God on the inside of him like you and I do. What was it that caused Moses' face to shine to such a degree that the people recognized it? He was in the presence of the word. He was receiving the word of God for the people. Now, the Bible tells us in Exodus 34, it says that Moses then put a veil on his face. It doesn't tell us that God told him to. I think he messed up. Uh, It may not have mattered. Obviously, it didn't matter as far as God was concerned. But he did something to accommodate them. And it's exactly what the world does today. It's exactly what people of God do today. They try to hide the light that is in them, try to hide it to make other people feel comfortable. Moses put a veil on his face to make the people feel comfortable. Why in the world is he trying to make this, this bunch of rebellious people feel comfortable? It says he takes the veil off when he goes back to talk to God. But what's he wearing the veil for? The veil is a type of the flesh. That's why you've got Christians doing so many of the wrong things that the world is doing, trying to make sure that nobody thinks that we're religious nuts. No, just make them think you're a heathen. That'll work so much better. Folks, I did this. I did this in high school. I tried to put the own light I had, and I didn't have much because I wasn't walking in the Word. But I tried to put the light out by doing the same things that other people were doing so that I would be acceptable to them. You need to realize, please understand this, you need to realize that to whatever degree you have committed yourself to the Word of God, A light shines in you that's a greater light than in other Christians who haven't made the same commitment. I'm not saying you're better than them, but I'm saying you're brighter than them. And I'm not talking intelligence either, although. I think it's pretty unintelligent to not commit yourself to the Word of God. I didn't always know that, though. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? That light went out in Adam and Eve. That light has come back on when Jesus came because he is the word made flesh. And to the degree that you commit yourself to the word, that light will grow and shine brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. It's not just being in his family. That light comes on. But you want to magnify that light, you do it through the word of God. That's what changed the course of my life is I saw the light in somebody else. Then I got around Brother Hagin, started learning some things about the word from him, seeing how God used him, seeing the kind of life that he lived. I, it, it's become funny. It didn't used to be funny to me. But it's become funny when I hear people speak of and write things and see stuff online about people saying things about Brother Hagin and the life that he lived and stuff like that. Listen, he lived in front of me. I saw it. Come talk to me, you people that want to write against him. I saw him walk in love, and that's what caused the light to shine so bright in him. But, folks, let me tell you, if the light is shining in you, you will have opposition. You become an easy target for the devil. He just looks for the light. There was a, there was a situation, um, oh, it's been over 20 years ago now. Was, our church was just in its infancy stage, just a couple of years old. There was a lady that heard about us, and I'm not sure exactly how she heard about us. I think, if I remember correctly, Brother Hagen said something about me, called my name, uh, used me for an illustration or something like that on his radio program. 
Well, whatever it was, the lady called. She found out about our church, and she called. She was from Riverside. And she called, uh, and, and uh, at that time, we didn't have a church office. The, the only thing that we had was in the home, and my home number was the church number, what we were using for, for church business and so forth. And so uh, Beth had a job at uh, one of the department stores over at the Laguna Hills Mall. And so I'm home by myself and, and studying, doing whatever I can. We don't have very many people in the church at all at that point in time. Maybe, I don't know, maybe had 100 people, something like that. And uh, so I'm minding my own business and get this call one day. She's from Riverside, a lady by the name of Debbie. And Debbie said, uh, she said, uh, listen, I, I found out about you through Brother Hagin's ministry and uh, whatever it was she said. And she said, I need your help. I said, okay, well, I'll help you if I can. Now, she had never been to our church. She had never heard me preach. She, ne- she didn't know anything about me except what she had heard. And so she said, uh, I said, how can I help you? And so she said, well, she said, I've been having panic attacks. For the last five years. And she says they've absolutely paralyzed me. She went on to tell me the story. About how she couldn't get out of her house. She said every time she'd get close to the front door. Just walking by. The devil would tell her. You step one foot outside that front door. And I'll kill you. Consequently it had gotten worse and worse and worse. Consequently it had gotten to the place. Where her husband had to work some kind of special arrangement. With his, his uh, employer. To not only take the kids to school in the morning, but to pick them up in the afternoon. I had to leave work, go pick them up in the afternoon, bring them back home, and, and then go back to work. And then after work, he had to do things like go do the grocery shopping, pick up the dry cleaning, whatever stuff needs to be done, because she can't get out of the house. And so she explained how, what, a, what a terrible drain and, and uh, uh, strain it had placed on their marriage and, and that kind of stuff, because literally she could not get outside the front door. So she said, uh, she told me all this story, spent about 20 minutes telling me the story, and it just went into detail after detail after detail. And I said, well, okay. I said, Debbie, what do you want me to do for you? She said, oh, I want you to pray. I said, what am I supposed to pray? She said, well, I don't know. She said, I, 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 I thought you'd pray and, and, and command the devil to leave me alone or, you know, something. I said, well, no, I can't do that. She said, you can't do that? And I said, no, I don't think I can help you like that at all. If that's what you're looking for, I can't help you at all. Now, I knew something she didn't know, and I'm trying to string her along a little bit, trying to get her attention. I remember Brother Hagin telling a story about when he was pastoring. He pastored for about 12 years before he got over into the ministry that God really had for him to do. And in one of the churches that he was pastoring, a small church, country church in a little town in East Texas, he said that he was trying to generate some excitement, not only help the people, but generate some excitement for the church services. He said, so Sunday night, he started having deliverance meetings. He said, oh, boy, we had deliverances. He said, people in my church that were bound with things, we had, we had things that would happen. He said, we had all kinds of manifestations, every kind of manifestation you could think of, and a lot of them you probably shouldn't think of. He said, we just had these things. He said, well, this went on for a couple of months. So he said, then the deliverance meetings were over. We were done. Everybody was so happy, so thrilled while they were going on, and, and then they ended. Well, a couple of months later, he's trying to gen up a little bit more excitement in the church, so he starts having uh, loose, uh, get set free meetings, I think is what he called them. Get set free meetings. Can't call them deliverance meetings. Just had those. So let's call them get set free meetings. Well, he said the same people that got delivered a couple of months ago now are coming to get set free. He said, we had good meetings, everything went fine, had some of the same manifestations that we had before, some new ones. He said it was, you know, turned out, went, all, went well, did that for another six weeks or so, and then that ended. He said, a couple of months later, I'm looking for something else to try to gen up some excitement for the services. So he said, I've already had deliverance meetings, I've already had get set free meetings, so now I'm going to have loosening services. 
Now, he said, he explained the story. His heart was right. He was really trying to help people. He's trying to get something happening in a service to get the people that he knows in his church are bound or in his town that are bound set free. So he starts having loosening services. He said, same people that came to get delivered and came to get set free now coming to get loosened. So he said, this went on for several weeks, whatever they ran it for, six weeks, whatever it was. And he said, after that, he said, I really went to prayer. He said, Lord, something's not working right here. Because the people that got delivered came back to get set free, and then they came back to get loosened. Clearly, what I thought was them getting delivered didn't keep them delivered. What is it that we're doing wrong here? And he said, the Lord spoke something to him, and this is what I knew in talking to Debbie. He said the Lord spoke to him and said just as clearly as he could possibly imagine. He said, you're trying to accomplish through prayer what can only be done by my word. I'm going to say that again. He said, you're trying to accomplish through prayer what can only be done by my word. Now, folks, let me ask you a question. What's more important, prayer or the word of God? How many of you believe it's the Word? How many of you believe it's prayer? How many of you wouldn't answer if your life depended on it? (laughs) Folks, you can't say one is more important than the other. The Bible says that the Word of God is like eating. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Prayer is like breathing. Which one's more important to you, eating or breathing? They're supposed to kind of work together. Just like prayer and the word are supposed to work together. If we just had the word and no means to communicate with God, that wouldn't do us any good. If all we had was a means to communicate with God, but, not, but without the word, we wouldn't know who God is, wouldn't know how to pray. And that's the place where so many people are missing it. That's where Debbie was missing it. She's wanting me to pray and accomplish something that only can be done by the word. In other words, if I prayed and got the devil to take his hands off her, he'd put his hands back on her later on in the afternoon. Unless she does something with the word, nothing's going to change. And that's what I told her. I said, Debbie, you're trying to get me to do by prayer what you can only do with the word. Well, she was just heartbroken. Because she was looking for somebody else to do it for her. She'd already convinced herself that this was too big for her. She couldn't get any help from this. No way she could accomplish anything on her own. She tried it all by herself. So woe is me. What are we going to do? And that's what she asked. She said, well, what am I supposed to do? And I told her to get her Bible and told her to turn to Luke chapter 10 and read with me verse 19. I said, Jesus told his disciples, if it belonged to his disciples, it belongs to you and me. Jesus said, behold, I give unto you authority. Explain the difference between power and authority. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. I told her that that just was representative of the devil's power and overall the power of the devil. So we know that serpents and scorpions have to be part of the devil's power. All the power of the devil means everything else. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil, and nothing shall, and I emphasize it this way, nothing shall by any means hurt you. I said, please notice, Debbie, the by any means. Now, the by any means covers the fear that's coming against you about the devil killing you and taking your life. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, you don't understand. I have tried some of those things in the past, and I break out in cold sweats, and my heart starts beating real fast, and I really think I'm going to have a heart attack. I said, let Debbie read Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Behold, I give unto you authority. It's not power, it's authority. 
power would be you'll feel strong all the time. Authority means you have delegated power that you may or may not ever feel that is over all the power of the devil. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Here's what the result of exercising that authority is. Nothing shall by any means, that means the devil doesn't have anything that is greater than the authority that you have, by any means hurts you. Jesus is telling you that the devil can't hurt you if you use your authority. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, you don't understand. One time we were out to dinner, and, and, and it starts going through these stories. I listened to her stories. I was more patient then, I guess. I don't know. Maybe this is what turned me. I'm not sure. But I listened to her story and said, Debbie, Luke 10, 19 says, Behold, I give unto you authority. We went round and round about this thing for 45 minutes on the phone. Nobody else coming to my church. I didn't have anything else to do. Stay on the phone all day. We went through this thing for 45 minutes. And I said, I finally said, Debbie, here's what, and every time I'd get her to say it, say it with me, read it. I want to hear you say it. Behold, I give unto you authority. Every time you could feel there was a little bit more chipping away, just a little bit more. And finally she said, well, you know, it does say that I've got authority, doesn't it? But I remember that time that I was trying to go to the store and she'd go through all this stuff. We'd start all over, start all over. We must have done it a hundred times. I said, Debbie, Jesus said that you have authority over the devil and that there's nothing the devil can do. There's no power the devil has that can hurt you if you exercise that authority. Then I asked her a question. Never really thought about it before then. I said, why does the devil tell you that he's going to kill you if you do something instead of killing you now? See, she was convinced the devil wanted to kill her. He had told her he was going to kill her so many times. She was convinced, absolutely convinced. The devil is going to kill me. He's wanting to kill me. I said, what's he waiting for? Why is he waiting till you step out on the front porch? Why is he threatening to do it if you do something? If he's going to kill you, why don't he just do it now? You already know he's not your friend. The other end of the phone went dead. Complete silence. I thought she had hung up on me. Complete silence. I said, Debbie, are you still there? She said, yeah, I'm thinking. I thought, that's a good sign. I asked the question. Now I'm on to something. I never really thought about that before, but now I'm on to something. I like, yeah, what is he waiting for? So I asked her again, what's he waiting for? He's not your buddy giving you one last chance. If you'll only do what he tells you to do, then you'll be safe. She said, yeah, what is he waiting for? I said, could it be that you have more authority that you don't, that you don't know yet, but he knows what you've got? In other words, is it possible that he knows he can't take you out even though you don't know everything that belongs to you? She said, Pastor Mike, could that possibly be so? I said, of course it's so. The Bible says you're in the hands of Jesus. How's the devil going to take you out? Jesus doesn't lose things in his hands. You've got to cooperate and take yourself out of his hands. And a lot of times people do that by disobedience to the word, whether it's through ignorance or on purpose. And then God gets the blame for it. Well, I don't know why God did this to me. Because you acted contrary to the word. And God's not the one that did it anyway. You got over in the devil's territory and you became a target. So we go right back to Luke ten nineteen. Finally, after about 45 minutes of this, I said, Debbie, here's what I want you to do. 
I said, I want you to go open your front door. (gasps) Oh, Pastor Mike, do you mean it? I said, I didn't tell you to go anywhere. Just go open the door. Well, okay. You can hear the gears turning. Well, okay. I guess I could do that. So she sets the phone down. These were four cell phones or anything like that, even cordless phones. She sets the phone down. She goes over to the front door. You can hear it. She opens it, and then you hear stomp. She runs back over to the phone, picks it up, and says, okay, I did it. I said, okay. How you doing? She said, well, I'm a little anxious, but I'm okay. So we went back to Luke 10:19. We spent about another five minutes just going back over Luke 10:19. Now she's not saying, yeah, but what about this time? And yeah, but this time this happened. Now she's hearing it. Now she's starting to accept it a little bit more. You can tell it's just drop by drop by drop, a little bit more. It's going into her. So I said, now, Debbie, here's what I want you to do. I said, I want you to go to the front door. I said, do you have a screen door on your front porch? She said, no. I said, all right. Then here's what I want you to do. I want you to go walk over to the front door and then go take one step outside the front door and stand on your front porch. She said, oh, Pastor Mike, you think I could really do that? And I said, I know you can. Quoted Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I said, the devil tells you if you step outside the front door, he's going to kill you. God said you have authority over his power. First of all, I don't believe the devil has power to kill you. Nevertheless, whether he has the power to kill you or not, you have authority over him. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the front door, stand there on this side of the front door and say, I take authority over Satan in the name of Jesus, and then take a step outside. It took me 10 minutes to talk her into doing it. She puts down the phone, walks over to the front door. Folks, this was agonizing, agonizing. I mean, because I can't tell what's going on. I can't see what's going on. I'm on. As far as I'm concerned, the phone is dead on the other end. I can't hear a sound. Next thing I heard was a thud. I thought, oh, dear God, she's falling dead on the front porch. <laughs> That's not going to work real good for a faith preacher, you know. I didn't know what it was. It was a big thud on the other end. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm wondering, oh, dear Lord, what is going on? She comes back to the phone in just a few moments, and she says, she's breathing heavy. <sighs> I said, well, how are you doing? She said, boy, she said, that was tough. I said, what'd you do? She said, well, I did what you told me to. She said, I, I said, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over you. She said, it's so quiet, I couldn't even hear her. She said, I take authority over Satan in the name of Jesus. And she said, I stepped out on the front porch. I said, what happened? She said, oh, man, I started getting dizzy. Started getting dizzy, thought I was going to faint. The thud I heard was her falling back inside the door. She sat there on the inside of the door and got her bearings for a minute and then came back to the phone and and told me about what was happening. Well, at this point, she is done. She is done. I mean, she doesn't want to hear about Luke 10, 19 anymore. She doesn't want to take another step. She doesn't want to do anything. Her only problem is the front door still open. We went right back to Luke 10, 19. I'm not preaching different sermons to her. I'm not even bringing other things out. I pointed out to her, I may have mentioned to her in the the conversation many, many, much earlier that the Bible says that Jesus has been raised in the the devil's power and everything the devil has is under his feet and that Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 says you've been raised and seated in heavenly places with him. That means the devil's under your feet too. I may have mentioned 
or did mention earlier in the conversation, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, that Christ has delivered, not going to deliver, but has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. But I'm just sticking with Luke 10, 19. One verse. That's all she can handle. So I let her get her breathing back right again, waited another several minutes, and I said, all right, Debbie, here's what we're going to do. You're going to go do it again. She said, oh, Pastor Mike, do I have to? And I said, yes, absolutely you have to. If, I said, if you quit here, the devil will have you for the rest of your life. But he's already told you that if you did what you've already done, he would take your life, and he didn't. He couldn't make good on his promise, right? She said, well, yeah, that's right. I said, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to the front door, and you're going to say loud this time so I can hear you on the phone. I take authority over Satan in the name of Jesus. I take authority over fear in Jesus' name. And I said, step out onto the front porch and stand there. If you feel faint, just stand there and say, I take authority over fear in Jesus' name. Well, I could hear some of these things going on on the other end of the phone. She steps out on the end of the front porch and stays out there for about, I don't know, 10, maybe 12 seconds and comes back in. Comes back to the phone. I said, how are you doing? She said, hey, I'm feeling pretty good. I said, he told you he'd kill you if you stepped outside the front door, right? She said, yeah, that's right. I said, but he wasn't able to, was he? She said, no, that's right, he couldn't. I said, do you know why he couldn't? She said, because I've got authority over him in the name of Jesus. I said, okay. We talked for another few minutes. I, I kept putting Luke ten nineteen back in, on the inside of her. I got her to say it. We'd talk about what it means. We'd go take it, pick it apart, talk about the by any means, nothing shall hurt you, and th- different things like that. I said, all right, here's what we're going to do, Debbie. I said, describe your front porch and your front yard to me. Well, apparently she lived in a little house that had to step up to get to the front porch. She had to step down to get to the front yard. I said, here's what you're going to do. I said, you're going to go to the front door, take authority in the name of Jesus, and walk out into your front yard. She said, Pastor Mike, I can't do that. I said, sure you can. It's as easy to walk in the front yard as it is to stand on the front porch. You've already done that. took me 10 minutes to talk her into it. Finally, she goes out, stands in the front yard. It's 20 minutes till she comes back to the phone. She's out there having a playtime in the front yard. First time she's really been outside the, the house. I mean, literally outside the house in years. She comes back. She's so excited. She's so happy. She's telling me that this is the best thing that's ever happened to her. She says, now, will you pray for me? I said, what for? She said, that it'll stay like this. I said, Debbie, it'll stay like this as long as you keep taking authority over it. See, so many times people are looking for somebody else to do the only thing that they can do for themselves. We abdicate our authority. We give our authority away trying to get somebody that we think has got more than that that we do to use their authority or use their place with God in prayer so that they'll get the work done for us. And, folks, you can't get the things of God that way. Even if you do get it, and sometimes we do that that way with people where healing is concerned, we'll get somebody's healing for them on a a special occasion or a special event with the power of God's in operation, but they'll lose it themselves if they don't know how to hang on to it. It still takes you doing the word for yourself. She called me back a couple of days later. She said, oh, Pastor Mike. She said, my husband wants to meet you. I said, why? She said, well, she said, I went to the school. School's only a couple blocks away. She said, I walked over to the school today to pick up the kids. And I was there when he showed up. He couldn't believe it. 
She said, I'm going to the grocery store in a few minutes. I said, good for you, Debbie. I said, you can go anywhere. You can do anything. Got a call the next day. She said, oh, Pastor Mike, when I went to the grocery store yesterday, the devil almost killed me. We went back to Luke 10, 19. Started all over again. I had to remind her that she had authority in the name of Jesus, that there was nothing the devil could do, that he's just a bunch of threats and he can't make good on his threats. I didn't hear from her for, an hour, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks later. She called to tell me everything was good. She said, my husband and I are going out on a date this weekend. First time we've been out in years. Well, I didn't hear anything else from her. Assumed everything went well. Got a call back from her about six months later. I wasn't home. It was on a Friday evening. Uh, it was a message that was left on my uh, answering machine at the house or at the condo that we were living in at the time. And, uh, and the voice message went something like this. It, she, said, uh, she said, Pastor Mike, it's Debbie from Riverside. She said, my husband and I have gone out with some friends of ours tonight to Los Angeles. We went to dinner, and now we're going to go to a play. And it's, uh, I, I don't have but just a minute, but I want to tell you what happened. We were at dinner, and all of a sudden, the panic attack came on me. The fear came on me just like it used to. She said it was stronger than anything I'd ever had come against me before. She said, I thought I was going to pass out at the table. She said, I excused myself from the rest of the group. She said, uh, I had to go to, the, I don't know how in the world she went to the restroom by herself. You know, women don't do that. But nevertheless, uh, she went to the bathroom. She said, and I, I'm, I'm in the bathroom. Nobody else is there. She said, I'm standing there and I had to lean on the counter. She said, I looked at myself in the mirror. She said, I was pale. She said, I was dizzy. I said, she said, my heart is beating just 90 miles a minute and 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 just everything seems like it's going to go dark just any moment i'm going to pass out and the devil's going to kill me she said while i'm looking at myself in the mirror not knowing what to do she said i heard your voice and you said debbie say i take authority over satan and over fear in the name of jesus now come on big boy see what you can do I'm thinking, I didn't say that to her. I talk like that to my kids sometimes, but I I didn't say that to her. She said, I got to go. She said, it left instantly when I did that. Now, we're on our way to the place, so I can't talk anymore, but just wanted to tell you, everything's good. Bye. Folks, the fact is this. Everything that's fear-related, you have authority over. Everything that's stress-related, you have authority over. Everything that's depression-related, you have authority over. Everything that robs you of joy, everything that robs you of peace, everything that robs you of any aspect of abundant life, any aspect of abundant life, you have authority over. It's not going to be yours when somebody prays for you. It's not going to be yours... When some special move of God says that it's yours. It's going to be yours when you take authority in the name of Jesus and demand that it's so. Turn with me over to to, uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I want you to notice what verse 2 says. You may already be familiar with it. I hope you are. Paul's talking about his victory and the way that he found victory in his life. 
He spends chapter 7 talking about the struggle between his spirit that wants to do the right thing and his flesh that keeps pulling him into the wrong thing. He concludes chapter 7 by saying, you know, who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? Or this death-influenced body, another translation says. Well, he answers and says, Jesus is the one that will. The answer is in Jesus. So he starts off in verse 1 and says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you'll notice the last part of verse 1, it says in the King James, it says, Who walk not after the Spirit, but after the flesh. That phrase is not in verse 1. Folks, the word is inspired, but the translation is not necessarily. Don't take my word for it. Look it up for yourself. This phrase, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, is not in verse 1. It's in verse 4. But it's not in verse 1. Now, here's why. We know it just from the things that Paul preached. Paul spent his whole ministry saying it's not by works, it's by faith instead. If he's saying that walking not in the flesh but in the spirit is the necessary work for there not to be any condemnation, then he's wasted his time in his ministry. It's impossible for him to say it depends on your action according to God's relationship. I said that poorly. Let me say it in a different way. If he's saying that your relationship with God, no condemnation, truly being made righteous, God being on your side, is based on your actions, then it is by works and not by faith. And the whole cornerstone of Paul's ministry is it's not by works. But as I said, don't take my word for it. You look it up for yourself. It is in verse 4, but not in verse 1. Here's what he's saying is the key to victory. To recognize, number one, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Folks, I don't care if you have messed up a thousand times last week. God's not mad at you. He wants you to overcome it. But he's not mad at you for it. The devil is the one that tries to pull you into wrongdoing and tells you God's mad at you because you did it. That's not true. God's not mad at you. He realizes that you're in the learning process to learn how to overcome and to walk in victory. So he says, step number one for Jesus to deliver you is to recognize there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. The devil will try to make you feel condemned because sickness has come against you. Well, you must have messed up somewhere. You must have made a mistake, and that's why these things have happened to you. Trouble in life. Well, you must have messed up, and that's why these things have happened. No, there's no condemnation. Even if that were the case and you and I messed up, there's no condemnation. God's not against you. He's there to help you win. He's there to lead you into victory. So there is therefore, step number one is there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Now, if anybody thinks I'm giving people a license to sin, that's not my intent. Which, by the way, I found that people will sin whether they have a license or not. God wants us to live right. But he doesn't want us to feel condemned when we're trying to live right and falling short of the mark. Okay. You do understand that to be true, don't you? If you've been struggling with something for years, you know why you're struggling? Because you haven't found out how to overcome it yet. God has patience. His patience, his mercy... And his love endures forever. So step number one, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Why? For, verse 2, verse 2 tells us why. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Notice it does not say the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus will, if we learn to live right, make us free from it. 
It says the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has already made you free from the law of sin and death. Now, who's in charge of enforcing the law of sin and death? Isn't that the devil's work? Isn't that what he tries to do? Jesus said so. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes not but for to kill, steal, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So Jesus said the works of the devil was killing, stealing, and destroying. In other words, the law of sin and death. But the Bible says, Paul is telling us by the Holy Ghost, that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has already made you free from the law of sin and death. Folks, I want you to understand that you making Jesus the Lord of your life has already put you in a position, please understand the way I'm saying this, has put you in a position to overcome any ill, any evil, any wrong, any trouble, any attack that the enemy could ever plan against you. I'm glad you're excited about that. Now, whether or not those attacks are overcome is going to be dependent on whether or not you walk in the word and put the word in practice. You're in position to overcome everything the devil can do against you. You have to use your authority in the word to make it real. Jesus said it this way. He said, if the son has set you free, this is John eight thirty six, I think it is. If the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. The word indeed means every, in every area, completely, absolutely, totally. If Jesus sets you free, you're free in every area. But if you back up a few verses in John chapter 8 to verse 32, he says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples, and you shall know the truth. How do you know the truth? By continuing in the word. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In other words, freedom comes by making Jesus the Lord of your life. Walking in freedom comes by putting the word in practice in your life. And you know as well as I do that a lot of us have what we're not living up to. You know that the Bible says a lot of things belong to us that we as individuals or the church world as as a whole are not living up to. How come? Because that's conditional on the word. That's conditioned on the word. Debbie was free all the time. She just didn't know it. But she found out by going to the Word. But even that wasn't enough. Finding out's good, but now she's got to put the Word in practice in her life. And when she did that, she's been free for 20-something years. She had it all the time. But she didn't know what she had, and she didn't know how to use it. Folks, you have authority over all the devil's power. It's already yours. If you're praying for more power, you're missing the boat. The power is yours. Satan is already under your feet because you're in the body of Christ. What do we need to do then? Find out the word that covers our situation and start acting on that. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that you have given us authority. Over all the devil's power and nothing shall by any means hurt us. Thank you, Father, that there is no need for us to be afraid of the arrow that flies by day or the terror that comes by night. Thank you, Father, that though a thousand fall at our side and and the ten thousand fall at our other side, no plague shall come nigh our dwelling. It shall not hurt us. It shall not come near to us. As we are doers of your word, Father, thank you that we walk through in victory. 
in every area. We have victory over sickness. We have victory over lack. We have victory over sin. We have victory over depression. We have victory over everything. Anxiety, stress, everything that is of the devil. Every bit of those things are of the devil's power, and we have authority over every one of them. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we declare it so. Now stand up on your feet, and we're going to make a a confession or two before we go. Raise one hand toward heaven because heaven's where your help comes from. He's the one that's the source of our power. Say this after me. In Jesus' name, according to God's word, I have authority over all the devil's power. Sickness cannot stay in my body because I take authority over it. In Jesus' name. Because I take authority over lack My needs are met in Jesus' name. Because I take authority over depression, peace is mine in Jesus' name. I refuse in the authority, in the name of Jesus, I refuse to allow Satan to hinder me, to put anything on me, or to bring anything into my life. That is not considered by God's word to be abundant life. I refuse to have less than what Jesus paid for. In Jesus' name. Now lift your other hand and thank him for that. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. (coughs) Well, is that it, Pastor Mike? Is that going to do it? Well, the devil's going to challenge you over it. Just like he challenged Debbie. May not be right away. It might be, but it might not be. But he will challenge you. He'll see if you're really serious about this. But you hold fast on what the Word says and answer his circumstance with what the Bible says about your authority. You'll come out on top every time. Folks, you can refuse sickness's right to stay in your flesh. You can refuse poverty's right to stay in your life. You can refuse the right of depression. Now, it's operating in the world. All these things are operating in the world. They have a right to operate in those that will accept them. Because the law of sin and death is still in operation here. But you're free from it. You can refuse its right to operate in your life. In Jesus' name. That's what authority is all about. Amen? Amen. Say it with me. The Lord is good. And His mercy endureth forever. Amen. God bless you. Come on back and be with us this evening if you can.